Hey, if you're a first-time visitor, my name's Pastor Zach. You received a card like the one that they're going to throw up on the screen when you walked inside the door. If you didn't receive a card, I'm going to say it's on you because you probably snuck in and didn't want to say that you were new. Uh, but grab those cards, fill them out. We actually want to get to know you. I, I got to give a little recap of today. Can, can you believe, if, you, if you've been with us for a while, can you believe that we just dedicated eight kids and six different families this morning? The, the last time we did that, I think we had one, one family. So, so it's amazing to see what, what God is doing. I got to celebrate the kids and the youth. I love seeing the elementary school kids. I love seeing the preschool kids. You can just see kind of the direction that we're going as a church and, and, and the growth that's happening. This is what's crazy. We have 10 kids being born in the next four months in this church. So, so next year, that group is going to double, and, and the parents that are having those kids are like the ones clapping right now. And everybody else is like, good Lord, we'll pray for you. But, but I'm thankful for the, the leadership of, of Justin and Brittany and Gary and, and Bree and Miss Jean and Miss Jessica and the others that I didn't name. Listen, we're thankful for the leadership. So can we give it up for our multipliers one time as well? We're going to kick off. We're going to kick off our dream series. So we're stepping into a three-week series. This is week number one. And if I had to title this something, I would title it "God's Dream for a Generation." God's dream for a generation, and and Christmas and dreams certainly go together. Think think about the poem of "Twas the Night Before." Christmas by Clement Moore. And, and many of you could recite this from memory, but let me just read a first, the first few lines. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads visions of sugar plums that's where I get lost because I have no idea what a sugar plum is like I, I maybe you're smarter than me but 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 there are a whole lot of things that we sing about Christmas that I have no idea about like sugar plums does anybody really know what a chestnut on an open fire is anybody does anybody know what figgy pudding is I have no idea what, what figgy pudding is, but think of some of these historical dreams of Christmas or Christmas stories that we hear about. What about Ebenezer Scrooge? See, this guy gets visited by four different ghosts, and you're like, four? Yes, there were four. The first one was Jacob Marley, and then he gets visited in his dreams by the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. It, it's weird. It's weird because in these dreams, he's being visited by ghosts. But what about the Nutcracker? Has anybody really ever dove into the Nutcracker? Because it's weird. Listen, E.T.A. Huffman, the original author of, of the Nutcracker, in its original version, Marie worries about a beautiful Nutcracker that's been broken. And at night, she goes downstairs, and to her surprise, they've all come alive. It's a story within a story, and there's armies of mice and Nutcrackers fighting each other. That's weird. It was a dream. She's delusional. Like, what, what's going on? There's, there's, there's rats and nutcrackers fighting each other in this kid's dream. Like, what is my four-year-old dreaming about right now? But, but what, about, what about your own Christmas dreams? D- do, you remember, do you remember the Tim Allen uh, Santa Claus movies? D- do y'all remember that? Do y'all remember the scene where, where Tim or, or Santa comes into his family and he gives them all the presents that they dreamed of getting as a kid? Like, like what, what were your dreams as a kid? 
What was that one thing that you wanted as a kid during Christmas? Speak to your heart for a second. What was the one dream that you wanted for yourself outside of Christmas time? You wanted to grow up to be what? You fill in your own blank. You, you wanted to be what when you grew up? But, but what about the Christmas season? This is what I know. Young kids during the Christmas season, they dream of the next toy. My daughter right now is infatuated with unicorns. So if you know where I can buy one of those, tell me so I'll be like the best dad in the world because I can't find a unicorn anywhere. It's where you laugh at my jokes. Thanks for one person laughing. Patrick, I appreciate you. Hey, if you're new to this church, I, I know, listen, I know you're like, I don't know what to do. Here's how we operate. If I say something, if you think it's slightly funny, give me a courtesy laugh or something. Like, if you want to shout me down, shout me down. We like communicating back and forth, right? This ain't going to be a monologue with me up here just preaching, all right? Y'all are going to talk back and forth with me. But kids like new things. Teenagers, what do teenagers want during Christmas time? I remember being a teenager. I didn't want a toy at all. I just wanted money. Like, just put, put money in. Where's my money in the envelope, people? Like, don't get me a gift card. Don't buy me a pair of shoes. Like, I just want money in an envelope, and I'm good to go. Anybody, I got a couple, I got a couple hands. What about young adults? And somebody's like, well, what's a young adult? The older I get, the older young adults get, all right? So, so young adults used to be like college. Now, young, for me, young adults is like 25 to 50. Like if you're, if you're under 50, you're a young adult, all right? But, but young adults, young adults, what do, you, what do you value? What do you dream of? And I think young adults dream of places and experiences, Man, I, I love traveling with my wife. I love traveling with my family. I love traveling with friends. I'm in a season right now where, where I'm like, hey, let's take a day trip. Somewhere. Let's just go somewhere and do something. You, you value experiences. But what about the older individuals in the room? What, what do they value during Christmas time? And I would venture to say that, that older individuals value family tables full of faces and living rooms full of laughter. You just want your boys to be home. You want your girls to be home. You want, you, you want your house full of joy and laughter. That's what you dream of. That's what we dream of for the Christmas season. And over the next three weeks, we want to take a look at some dreams and, and some visions and some visitations in the Christmas story that do three specific things. So we're a church that takes notes. If you've never taken notes before, go ahead and grab a scratch piece of paper, and we're going to take some notes this morning. But, but three specific things. The first one is this. We want to help to take people out of being prisoners of the moment. We want to fill them with hope. And we want to fuel visions of a God-filled future of what could be. Because there's no secret that, that in our society there's so much wrong in the world. Turn on the news. I don't care if you watch CNN or Fox. You turn on the news, there's going to be something bad. I don't care what paper you read, there's going to be something bad. I don't care what social media you follow, the world tells you there's going to be something bad. I, I wasn't going to share this, but I'll do it anyway because I'm that kind of person. Um, so this past week, I, I flew out. I was on the West Coast. I was in California. And to be honest with you, I was nervous to go to California. I was like, I, I, everything I hear about California is bad right now. Everything I hear about, like, I feel like California's, be, like, trying to pry itself to fall into the ocean. Like, 
like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. And I was like, I don't know if I can go out there and people are going to look at me funny. And, and I got to, man, I got a mask up. I got I got everywhere I go and, and all this stuff. And I don't care if you wear a mask or don't. But for me, I was like, I, it just gave me a little bit of anxiety. I got to San Diego and I walked into a coffee shop. Ain't nobody wearing a mask. Ain't no, I mean, it was just one of those things where it was like, no, people were just being people. And, and I think in our society, what we can do is, is we can, we can look at the news and we can say everything else is bad. Everything out of my bubble is bad. I don't want to deal with it. But, but over the next couple of weeks, what if we actually focus on the good? What if we focused on the good in society? What if you focused on the good in your family? See, if we're not careful, we'll focus on the bad and we'll forget. We'll actually forget that there's good right in front of us. Look at me for just a moment. Refuse to be prisoners of the moment. Refuse to be a prisoner of society. My prayer over the next three weeks is that we would have dreams of Christmas and they would fill us with hope of what could be. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And it reads like this, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Let me pause there for just a second. I, I, know, I know that there's not a single person in this room that's perfect. But, but can I encourage someone today? We see it in Scripture. God sees you walking with them. God sees you trying to do the right thing. Dad, God sees you trying to do the right thing. Mom, God sees you trying to do the right thing. We talk to the marriages in the room. I know marriage can be hard sometimes, but God sees you doing the right thing. Maybe you're a parent in the room and you're trying to figure out the parenting thing. God sees you doing the right thing. Maybe you just switched jobs. And, and Can I just encourage someone today that God sees you doing the right thing, but God also hears your prayers. He hears your Prayers like Zechariah and Elizabeth, God sees you pursuing him. But, but if I had to strip it all the way down, and if I had to just be raw with you today, just because you're pursuing God doesn't mean life's going to be perfect. Just because you're pursuing God doesn't mean that you won't experience some hardship. Let's take a look at verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Can I encourage somebody that you can continue to dream because God is never limited by your circumstances or your timeline. What, what were the circumstances of Elizabeth and Zechariah? Scripture says that Elizabeth was barren. They wanted a kid. They, they tried to conceive a kid. Their circumstance said that you can't have a kid. But nor is God limited by your timeline. What, what was their timeline? They were advanced in years. That's just a nice way of saying they were old. Like... Like, like Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were old. And, and maybe, maybe you walked into the room thinking this morning that, that you should have had a kid by now. Maybe you walked in the room thinking that your marriage should be healed by now. Maybe you're a student in the room and, and you're thinking, man, I should have graduated college by now. Maybe you're an adult in the room and you started college and you're thinking, man, I should have should have graduated college by now. 
man, man I, thought, I thought that I was going to have a job that would fulfill me by now. Or, or, or maybe, maybe I should be a homeowner by now. I know the market is crazy, but, but I thought that God would have showed up in some capacity and I would have a house right now. According to whose timeline? Because this is what I know. None of these things that I just mentioned are bad in and of themselves. But I don't want anything in Zach Witt's life that isn't from God. I don't want anything in your life that isn't from God. See, if Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't careful, they could shake their fist at God and say, You haven't given us a kid, but maybe, maybe. It just wasn't in God's timeline for that season. Verse 8, let me continue. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty. I got to pause right there for just a second because it seems that good things happen to people who are serving. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his Birth, verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let's break down that story. Let's break down that scripture. Let's go back to verse 12. And Zechariah was what? He was troubled. When he saw him. And fear fell upon him. See, Zechariah felt fear. Write this down if you're taking notes. Sometimes a God dream initially feels like fear. Now, now watch this. I truly believe there's two types of fear. There's bad fear and there's good fear. Now, now what is bad fear? Pastor, break that down. What is bad fear? Bad fear is irrational fear. Bad fear is worst-case scenario fear. And some of you live with worst-case scenario in your head. Regardless of the situation, you're always thinking worst-case scenario. Can you just get that out of your head? Can you just break that right now? Like, get, get worst-case scenario out of your head because God is not a God of worst-case scenario. See, when we think worst-case scenario, I think inevitably what we're saying to ourselves is, this is what would happen if God didn't show up. So we're already thinking that God's not going to show up. We live with worst case scenario. And then good fear is God fear. God fear would sound something like this is too great for me. And I think we live with that sometimes. What if your fear is God trying to birth a dream inside of you that will change generations through you? Zach, what do you mean? Some of you are pursuing Jesus for the first time in your entire life. Others of you have grown up in church, but for some reason you starting to, you're starting to feel this tug on your heart. And you're starting to truly follow Jesus. Can I encourage you that, that what you're doing now will change generations to come? I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I'm trying to figure it out. I, I, didn't know, I don't know what it means to get, be a good dad. I'm trying to figure it out. But what I do know is that I'm changing the trajectory of my girls 
It's going to start with me. I'm not going to take a victim mentality. I'm going to take some ownership. It'd be easy for me to sit up here and just to say, you know what? This is what's happened to me. So, so I have a right to act this way. That's nonsense. I've got to take some ownership in my life. Some of us need to take back ownership and begin to dream again. But for God's dreams to be birthed in you, you have to realize, number one is this. If you're taking notes, God has named you and called you. Well, how do you know that, Zach? Verse 13. It's very simple. I just follow scripture. My points are always just scripture-based. And you shall call his name John. <laughs> like, it's, it's simple. God said you shall call him John. But that wasn't what other people wanted to call him. If you take a look at verse 59 through 61, what, what individuals responded with was nobody in your family has that name. Call, call him Zechariah. Call him after his dad. Nobody in your family has the name John. Don't call him John. And I think we can read that like this in our society. Nobody in your family has ever graduated from college. What makes you think you can? No, nobody, nobody in your family has had a successful marriage. What makes you think you can? Nobody in, nobody in your family has made it without divorce or without separation. What makes you think you can? Nobody in your family has ever started a business. What makes you think you can? No, nobody in your family has ever raised their kids in the church. What makes you think you can? And what we allow is the voice of others to start speaking into our life. And the enemy will try to name people. And the world tries to name people. But God has called you by name just as he's called John by name. And number two, when you recognize that God has called you, you can have a God-sized dream. Have you ever noticed how kids dream? You ask kids what's going on in their life and you just you almost like see their brain and their imagination just begin to open up. I'm going to preach a series on this, but there's a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. Too much too many of us are walking around with childish faith, not childlike faith. Some of y'all that will hit you Wednesday and you'll go, "Oh, that's what he meant." <laughs> but there's childlike faith. A childlike faith is a vulnerable faith. It's a trusting faith. It's a curious faith. And that's the type of faith that I want. There's a God-sized dream written for you just like was written for Zechariah and Elizabeth. When you came in this morning, you saw the ornaments on your chair. So go ahead and grab those ornaments. Some of you are like, I don't have it because I dropped it and it bounced four rows back. It's okay. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> If you, if you need an ornament, raise your hand. Our ushers will bring it to you. Everybody should have one. They're watching the hands go up. Hey, go ahead and pop those up. We're going to do it at one time, all right? Everybody go ahead and pop those ornaments open. At the top, if you just kind of pull it apart, like a pecan, not a pecan. For those of you who are from the north, you weirdos. Pecan. Hey, and in, inside that ornament, there's a little piece of paper. Go ahead and unroll it. You're like, what's written on the paper? Nothing. <laughs> You're going to write something on the paper. There's some pens in the chairs. But if you'll notice, there's, there's nothing written on the paper. So, so if, I ha if I had to ask you a question now, the question would be this. What's your God-sized dream? What's, what's the dream that you're going to write on the piece 
a favor. And this is, this is what I know. If you can accomplish the dream without God, it's not a God-sized dream. If you can accomplish the dream without God, it's not a dream. It's actually your selfish ambition. What's the dream that you're going to write down on the paper? What's your God-sized dream? Maybe you, have, maybe you have a dream in mind already. Maybe there's something that's resonating with you that you've been wrestling with. Maybe you can go ahead and jot that down. Maybe, maybe you need to take a few minutes, and that's okay. If you can't write your dream down right now in this moment, that, that's okay. But if you know that dream, go ahead and jot it down. But this is what I've come to find out. Most of us never live the dream. See, once we have the dream, we have to put it into action. But how do you actually put a dream into action? How do, you, how do you see a dream play out? I think there's four specific words. If you're taking notes, write this down. You hear the dream, you write the dream, you speak the dream, and you release the dream. You hear it, you write it, you speak it, and you release it. Number one is this. You hear the dream. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. you got to pause right there because sometimes the people that rejoice with you will try to steal your dream. Verse 59, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they, they, the people that were rejoicing, would have called him Zechariah after his father. They would have stolen the dream, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. Church, sometimes God's dreams for you are greater than others' dreams for you. Sometimes God is speaking to you and, and other people just haven't heard what God's spoken to you and that's okay. Don't feel like you have to follow the voice of the world. Follow the voice of God. Some of us have forgotten our dreams because we're listening to others and not listening to God. Follow the voice of God. Hear what God is saying above what others are saying. And this is the reality of the situation. They weren't bad people. So can I tell you this? Sometimes church people will try to steal your dream that God's put in your heart, unintentionally. Sometimes good, well-meaning people will try to steal your dreams. Listen to the voice of God. Don't let other people talk in public talk you out of what God told you in private. I've come to find this out. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to learn this. <laughs> this is easy for me to preach. It's hard for me to live. If I'm being vulnerable as a pastor, this one's hard for me. God's dreams are greater than your genealogy and your generational curses. Pastor, what's that mean? God's dreams are greater than the household you grew up in. God, God's dreams are, are greater than, than you watching your parents fight and getting physical altercations when you were a kid. God's dreams are greater than the addictions that are in your family. God's dreams are greater than, than the addictions of alcohol. God's dreams are greater than the addiction of cocaine. God's dreams are greater than the addiction of heroin. Can I, can I get real for a second? God's dreams are greater than the addiction of pornography. God's dreams are greater than the addiction of abuse. God's dreams are greater than the addiction of codependency. God's dreams are greater than generational curses verse 61 and they said to her none of your relatives is called by that name but remember remember I just said it nobody in your family did it what makes you think you can do it 
I probably can't do it. Zach can't break generational curses, but God working in me can. God working in and through me can. That's why it's a God dream. And after you hear it, you have to write down the dream. Some of you have already started writing your dreams. Some of you are like, I don't know what to write. I'll get to you in a second. But, but some of you are writing down your dreams. Verse 62 says this, And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. Sometimes before you speak, Sometimes before you're able to speak, you have to write it down. Listen, I realize in this story that Zechariah was mute in the moment. But but what are you writing down? Because what you're writing down will begin to birth inside of you. And inevitably, it will come out of you. See, Some of you have dreams in your head. Some, some of you are okay dreaming here. You're just afraid to put it down on paper. Because once you put it down on paper, other people might see it. Once you put it down on paper, you have to live with it. You're you're watching it. This is what I've come to find out in in our society is that too many people date their dreams and don't put a date on their dreams. So so you you would rather date your dream. You would rather just carry it along. Hey, one day I'll start a business because it sounds sexy. Hey, 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 one one day, one day I'm going to step into that new job. Maybe, maybe one day, one day I'll get married, but, but no, nah, I, I don't need, I don't need to do it. But, but you never put a date on You've been dating the same person for six years. Go ahead and put a ring on it. Like, don't shout me down. Too many people date their dreams and don't put a date on their dreams. You hear it, you write it, and then you speak the dream. At the end of verse 63 stepping into verse 64 and they all wondered and immediately immediately his mouth Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God I I think that the the, the thing that, that grabs me the most in this story is that Zechariah was mute until his son was born but the first thing that he actually said was a blessing to God too many of us want to curse God. Too many of us, the first thing out of our mouth is, God, why? God, God why? Was, could you imagine Zechariah was mute for nine months? God, why was I mute? Why would you shut my mouth? God, why haven't you healed my family yet? Could you just imagine what the first thing out of some of our mouths would be? But the first thing out of Zechariah's mouth was a, was a blessing. He blessed God. have to know the difference between you might and you will taking a look at verse 13 through 15 see when it's your dream when it's your own ambition you might you might succeed but when God has put something inside of you you will succeed now listen I'm not trying to get weird and just name it and claim it nonsense like uh, what I'm saying is is this check out the scripture when it's God's dream, you will because what? He will. There's a series of I will statements in verse 13 through 15. Hear this. For your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. You hear it. You write it. You speak it. And finally, you release the dream 
you release it. You're writing your dreams down. If you haven't thought about it yet, write it down. I'm prompting you. What, what's your God-sized dream? What's, what's God calling you to? And once you have those dreams written down, I want you to put them back in your, your ornaments. Put that little string around it if you want to. You can do it at, at home. But I want you to hang your dream on a tree at home. I won't make fun of you if it's a fake tree, all right? All my real tree people. <laughs> I just lost like half the church. I don't care if it's fake or real. But I want you, I want you to hang your dream on your tree. And I want you to look at that dream over the next few weeks. And I want you to think about that dream. I want you to pray about that dream. Hey, if you're bold, tell somebody else about that dream. But what I also know is that God hung his dream on a tree. You say, Pastor, what do you mean God hung his dream on a tree? Jesus hung on a tree. For my sin, for your sin, Jesus, Jesus hung, hung on a tree. And scripture says, cursed is he who hung on the tree. Cursed is he who hung on the tree. But check this, it's not the person. The person that hung on the tree wasn't cursed. It was the curse that was hanging on the tree because Jesus hung on the tree. And because Jesus hung on the tree, the curse is broken. Because Jesus hung on the tree, you are free. But because Jesus hung on the tree, you're free to live again. Because Jesus hung on the tree, you're free to dance again. Because Jesus hung on the tree, you're free to sing again. Because Jesus hung on the tree, you're free to love again. And because Jesus hung on the tree, you're free to actually dream again. Maybe you're thinking, God, this dream is too big for me. Good. It's supposed to be. God gave you that dream. The problem is too many of us want to hold the dream opposed to giving God back the dream. See, too many of us say, God, you've given me this dream. Why won't it happen? It's because you haven't really released it back to God. Maybe you're hoarding it. Maybe you're hanging on to it. How do you release the dream? With every head bowed and every eye closed for a second. I want to speak to two different groups in the room. See, some of you took that piece of paper out of the globe or out of the ornament and you and you closed it back up and you're holding the paper outside the the uh, you're holding the paper outside the ornament you haven't put anything back inside of it and and the the picture that i can't get out of my head that i feel like's from the lord is that's how you feel your life is you feel like your life is empty and you and some of you are walking with god let me speak to this first group i think that like you're walking with god you love jesus you love Jesus with all your heart. But dreams that, that were once inside of you don't seem to exist anymore. Dream, dreams that were once inside of you are, are null and void or you think they're null and void. For some reason, you put an expiration date on your dreams. And, and God wants me to tell somebody today that there is no expiration date on a dream that God's put inside of you. So, so if I could... For, for just a, a minute. I think, I think some people need to be bold this morning. The enemies tried to steal your dream. 
We're going to ask you to do anything crazy. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. But, but the boldness is this. If you feel like the enemy has, one, stolen a dream for you, from you, or two, you need a renewal of a dream that was once inside of you, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. If you think that's you, if you feel like the enemy, hey, can I just encourage somebody that wants to, keep those hands up, nobody's looking around. Can I encourage someone? There's more hands than you could imagine going up right now. If you feel like the enemy has stolen a dream from you, or you need a a rebirth of a dream, go ahead and put those hands down. God, you see those hands. I'm trying, I'm trying not to get emotional up here because I saw the hands that were raised. And I see the tears that are flowing down people's faces right now. And if I can see the tears, you bet daggum well that God sees the tears. God sees the tears streaming down your faces. God feels the hurt that's in your heart. And I truly believe that God is restoring dreams right now. God is saying, dream again. God is saying, write the daggum dream down on the paper. Believe, believe that the dream will come to pass. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. Believe that God will meet your dreams. And maybe there's another group in the room. And you, you would say something like this, I hear all of this dream stuff. And, and I mean, I, I, it kind of resonates with me, but, but I, don't, I don't really understand it all. To hear it, Multiply Church, we believe that the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life is to step into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe, maybe there's a void in your life and and maybe the void isn't a dream. Maybe the void is the fulfiller of the dream. Maybe the void is Jesus himself. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe, maybe today is your day to step into a relationship with Jesus. Oh boy, what does that even mean? Hey, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to slip up your hand. Then I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. And then right outside these doors, we have a group of people that want to take the next few steps with you and show you what it means to truly follow Jesus. So if that's you all across this room on the count of three, would you slip open your hand? Ready? One, two, three. If you're saying, Zach, I just want to step into a relationship with Jesus. And then if we could say this prayer together, could we say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live wide awake to your love and fully alive to my purpose. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you said that prayer for the very first time, or maybe it was a a rededication of your life to Jesus, again, right outside these doors to the left in our wide awake and fully alive area, we have some individuals that want to talk to you and take those next few steps with you. But could I, could I just encourage you? Could I encourage you to keep dreaming? There shouldn't be enough room on that piece of paper for the dreams that God has put inside of you. There should be dreams just flowing out of you. Not because of who you are, but because of who God is. Hey, could I bless you? Let's pray. God, I just pray a blessing over this family.
over this church body that, that we would dream again, that we would hear your voice again, that you would birth something inside of us again. God, I pray for doors to be open so that dreams would come to pass. God, I pray for relationships to be mended. I pray for babies to be born. I pray for jobs to be started. Whatever the dream is, God, I pray that those dreams would come to pass, that we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be chained by circumstances. We wouldn't be chained by timelines. God, we would, we would truly follow after you, and we would write the dream, and we would release the dream back to you. And all God's people said, amen and amen.